views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. This show's audio was via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Many of you have noticed we have started an amazing new series. It's called our Creating a Better World series. And I've had the honor and pleasure of interviewing people from all over the world doing some of the most incredible things. So stay tuned, fasten your seatbelt, and here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Now, you've heard me talk about this quite a bit, and we've talked about it in the context of how we live our lives. So what would you think if I said building a nation of caregivers? Joining me here today, Dr. Courtney Van Houten is someone that can talk quite a bit about this. Research scientist, health services research and development, Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, Today, we're thrilled to have Dr. Uh, Courtney join us here for several reasons. What does it mean to become a national caregiver? Uh, Are you one of those? And do you know how many people each year are actually in this category? Uh, Dr. Courtney, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Um, A nation of caregivers. I don't think we see ourselves at that, but the statistics may say something different. Absolutely. We are a nation of caregivers and we're taking care of people of all ages and we as caregivers are all ages ourselves. So, The latest report from AARP shows that there are over 43 million adults in the U.S. providing unpaid care to an adult or a child. So this is a huge number of us, and most of these caregivers don't have any training or support, so they are just figuring it out as they go. They also don't have other services or other caregivers to help them in the home, so a lot of times they're not just figuring it out, but they're figuring it out by themselves. So let me ask you this question. Um, How do we define caregiver. I I would love to start with that because when we say, how is America becoming a a nation of caregivers? I I don't know that people know what that means. I think we do things so naturally that we don't, we're like, no, that's not me. Yeah. A lot of people don't identify as a caregiver, a caregiver, a family caregiver. People call this informal caregiver, depending on your discipline. A family caregiver could be a family member or friend who has a pre-existing relationship to a person who ends up needing care in the home and can't be independent, either due to cognitive problems, either due to health problems. Um, And so if you kind of have an existing relationship and you start taking care of that person in the home, then you're a caregiver. Um, And it doesn't mean you have to be in person. You can be a long-distance person who's managing health care. You can be doing really unskilled tasks like helping someone get up from a couch. You can be doing wound care, really, really skilled tasks. Or you can be doing companionship where you are helping someone who has mental illness stay calm. So it really varies in the types of tasks that caregivers are providing. Um, And, you know, it takes sometimes a while for people to say, oh my gosh, I am a caregiver. I'm not just a wife. 
Yeah. You know, what's kind of interesting about this, you know, we don't, as children, we don't look at taking care of our parents as, as fitting in any of this category. And what I mean by that, it's like, well, wait a minute. I'm just taking care of my mom. I'm just taking care of my dad, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. still I'm just, caregiving. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to. Yeah. I'm just yeah, doing what is. I'm supposed and, to. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are kind of patterns. You can't, everyone has their own story. That's a great thing about this kind of research. And it's also a hard thing because mm-hmm. everyone has, is like, oh, that didn't happen in my case. So it's hard to make big generalizations, but there are different tasks that are split by, you know, this kid's better at finances and this kid oh, is yeah. better at um, helping mom bathe or, and, and parents have preferences and what kids they want to do what. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of subtlety in, in all of these issues. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, what I want to say, too, and also ask you about is uh, what is the VA's role? You know, what are you doing? Sure. How, you know, and, and it may seem like a silly question, but it's really important for the VA to be involved in this and to be involved in the care of our veterans. Absolutely. Yeah. So there are about five and a half million caregivers of veterans in the U.S. And a lot of those are taking care of older veterans, but about a million of them are taking care of veterans who are from the post-9-11 era. So the average age of those veterans who've been injured in the line of duty in the post-9-11 era, around 36. So those are really different age profiles than kind of what you think of as a traditional caregiver. So the VA, since 2010, has rolled out a national system of support for caregivers. They're a real leader in this area. No other health system in the U.S. truly has the level of support that caregivers get in the VA. The way the VA rolled out this program is that they established caregiver support coordinators in each of the 170 medical centers nationally, and the larger medical centers, they have multiple caregiver support coordinators. They're usually social workers, psychologists, or nurses, and they're the main point of contact for caregivers to come in and learn more about the services available for them, try to help them navigate the system, be linked in with training, or try to, um, you know, get services in the home like home adaptions or link them into the right people in the VA to help their veteran and help mm-hmm. them live a more full life. You know, one of the things that we don't talk about enough is what actually does happen to a caregiver if they do not take care of themselves. And sure. that <laughs> is a big conversation because I don't know how many you know, but I've watched friends and family members literally deteriorate trying to take care of their own lives and then, of course, their loved ones. And without any help, isn't this to make sure we're helping the caregiver so they can be better caregivers for themselves and others? And have a full life when they no longer are a caregiver. That's something people don't think about. Mm -hmm. I think one of the, the... big focus is to understand both the kind of emotional strain, the psychological strain, the physical strain, because you can be injured if you don't um, move someone properly and also financial strain. So knowing all of those factors are really linked is important to try to address and support caregivers. Mm -hmm. And that's what some of the um, research programs in the VA that um, are being rolled out for caregivers really focus on. How do we deal with all of the factors, both the clinical care they need to train in and also the, the permission to take care of themselves better? Well, look, before and plan we, for the future. Yeah, exactly. Before we kind of run out of time, I want to make sure we mention website enough time so that people know that they can go and find out more information. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? 
Sure. Anyone interested in learning more about the supports that VA offers? You don't have to be a caregiver of a veteran. People outside the system really find this website to be useful. That is caregiver.va.gov, and that shows a lot of different tips and tools, different research findings, and also training and resources for training online. There's also a caregiver support line that caregivers can call to talk to someone and find out what what services are available near them or if they're just needing to talk to someone. It's 1-855-260-3274. And then there's one more website, and that is if you're interested in finding out whether there's a caregiver um, support program or research study near you is research.va.gov. And you can look under caregivers in that broad um, research site for all the VA research going on. There's a huge portfolio of research in the VA. You know, so one of the things that we don't know here, or maybe we don't talk about enough, is that the Department of Veterans Affairs ranks as one of the highest nation's leaders in health research. Um, And we don't really talk about that enough. Um, And, you know, the role that you all play is a role that is seriously important. And there's a misunderstanding that, well, wait a minute, we're not really in, quote, a war why do we need this? And I'd love for you to talk to that point for a minute because all of the people that have served, they haven't disappeared from the planet. They're still Absolutely. here, right? So there's a misunderstanding. They're, they're still here. And um, the VA's goal is to get more people into the VA system because it is such an excellent um, system of care. But right now, the VA healthcare system serves 9 million veterans. Wow. And so it, the one of the reasons it's so excellent and, you know, it's a really good point that you've made, I think you alluded to, is like we get the bad press but not the good press yep. in the VA system. And there are, of course, areas to improve upon, but one of the things that the research enterprise has really contributed to is being able to find something that's effective and really improves clinical practice and then because it's an integrated system, roll that out. So, for example, research we're doing is finding out how do we best support caregivers And if we can talk to our partners in D.C. and say, this really reduces isolation and improves satisfaction with care, this helps veterans stay in the community longer, central office can decide to roll that program out. And that's what they are doing on a limited basis in some of our research studies. So rolling them out to eight sites, if it works there, then I'll go to 170 maybe. And that really is amazing as a researcher to be able to impact the way care is delivered. I have to tell you, I, I've gone to the website and I was reading an article that I can't even believe is on here. I mean, some of the research that you're doing, I was reading an article about fire ants and how they hold a key to psoriasis treatment. And, you know, many, <laughs> many cultures use them. So, I mean, but, you know, it's so fascinating to me that when you are in the situation, when you are a VA you're getting people from all walks of life with all sorts of things that you have to pay attention to. And people don't understand the magnitude by which you all have to look at the population, these people that have served and some of the things that are happening in their lives beyond like, oh, we've got a call. No, I mean, it doesn't this really call for why you have to come forth in this way with just stellar research. Yeah, and, and and understanding the mental mental health challenges mm-hmm. and the physical health challenges that that veterans face that are unique to their service and unique to their lives. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to be in this area. I feel like, and of course, we couldn't do it without the input from the veterans and the caregivers who volunteer to take part in our research studies. Mm-hmm. We really benefit from their input in designing our research. Mm-hmm. How are we doing? How, how could we be better? And um, we really use their input on that. So, uh, you know, I know we have a, a few minutes left. I want to ask you about the direction you all are going and, you know, what, how the research you've previously done uh, affects the research that you're envisioning doing moving forward? Sure. So I think we've made a lot of progress in what are the types of programs that best support caregivers and across a lot of different diseases. But a lot of the programs are specific to one disease, so Alzheimer's, post-stroke, um, people with TBI. And I think one of the next steps is to really try to understand, are there more general programs that can focus on things that are common across everybody's experience. So one common thing is uh, people don't find time to take, take care of themselves or self-care or people feel isolated. Are that is, is addressing just a few key factors that are common across all caregivers, is that the way to really figure out how to best approach a huge number? What we want is scalability. We want to reach as many people as we can and find modes that make it easy for caregivers to take part in these programs so that they can um, live their fullest lives. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Van Houtven, it's so great to have you here and talk about this um, and to talk about some of the um, outstanding research that is being done. But the research is being done in a response to a serious need, but also to be proactive um, because you you know what your clients, what these veterans really need. And I think it's amazing you've been able to pull this together. What do you see are you're most optimistic about and what are some of the challenges? The things I'm most optimistic about are that um, the VA's commitment to figuring this out. And I guess that feels really secure as a researcher. We're going grant from grant, from grant to grant. And I know that um, I'm going to be able to keep working in this laboratory and keep pushing our findings um, to find better ways to support veterans and family members. So that feels really optimistic. Some of the biggest challenges to me and concerns are that um, for some of the younger caregivers, I worry very much about their long-term um, well-being because of the fact that they, if they leave work, for example, to be a caregiver and they're in their 30s, I do worry about their long-term financial security and um, the toll that that will take. Um, so trying to figure out ways that help them in their role, but also plan for the future and, and maybe do, because they're not working, find different ways to contribute to their own um, security and retirement age. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of concerns are really, I think, what we need to tackle next, like thinking thinking long-term about how this is going to affect them and their yeah. security. Yeah, I think the one thing that we all know, if anyone anyone out there has been a caregiver, I know what it feels like, um, you know, in a role that I played, it, you, you certainly want to not feel alone. And I think that's one of the major aspects of what you all do is not just the studies and the research, of course, but the research directs you to a call to action. And that's what I think is most important for us to remember that, you know, the research and the call to action in the end is to help our veterans, right? Absolutely. And for caregivers to know they're not alone. I think if yeah. people are in the system or out, like 
area agencies of aging for caregivers of non-veterans. If you feel isolated and if you feel alone, there is training in the community for you. And for caregivers of veterans, there is training and support for you if you reach out. And I know from testimonials from our participating caregivers that it can really help and really get, sustain people and make them feel better and have, give them their sense of self-worth, make wow. it really strong again. Well, thank you so much for today. One more time, please give us the website. And would you also, what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? Um, sure. My Our website um, is caregiver.va.gov. And that is showing all of the different programs the caregiver, the caregiver support program in the VA offers. We also have research.va.gov. I think my message is I really just want to thank the veterans and caregivers who have served on our veteran and family engagement panels to improve our research, who participate in our research studies because we really couldn't address your needs without your participation. And I'm particularly proud that we have people who don't traditionally take part in research involved in our studies, people who don't trust the system, people who live in underrepresented communities, and I'm especially thankful to them for trusting us to try to serve them better. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very, very much. And, um, you know, thank you for your service and all that you do. Thank you for your um, time. I appreciate your questions. Yeah, boy, I'm telling you, uh, those of us that have family members that have served, we totally understand the importance of your work and really encourage you to keep, keep on keeping on. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. We're going to take a short break, everyone. Please go to the website. Please don't hesitate. Please know you don't have to do it alone. We'll be right back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our good news segment. Today, I get to chat with Sharon Miller. Sharon is the head of small business at Bank of America. Her team is responsible for delivering uh, business and personal financial solutions to the company's 3 million small business owners and and entrepreneurs. That's us, by the way. That's us. Um, And so today... Uh, Sharon's going to take us on a journey, and I love surveys. Take us on a journey about small businesses on track to beat revenues as confidence in the economy surges. So we're going to hear from Sharon about what it is in 2017 that people are saying, what does the survey reveal, and what should you kind of be prepared for slash question. Sharon, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. So, you know, let's talk about this. I I, I think right now, if people are listening to this, uh, I would be remiss without saying that people are optimistic about the economy, but they have mixed feelings about some of the legislation, especially in some of the states, um, about taxes. The point being, however, that the optimism for small businesses continues to grow. Um, your survey kind of points to why that might be. So it's kind of exciting here. It does, and it's, uh, it is very exciting. So we survey clients twice a year to just understand, you know, their outlook, what's happening with the local markets, are there differences in geography. Mm-hmm. And this report shows that there's optimism and actually most small business owners told us that they feel their year-end number will be higher 
than that of 2016. So we had some optimism in 16 as well, but mm-hmm. this has far surpassed it. And it's not just about, you know, Black Friday, mm-hmm. Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday, which all those results were higher than last year. Right. This is a full year of 2017, and it continues to increase, and the momentum is good going into 2018. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because the one thing we're, we're, we're not talking about is while we had a phenomenal, you know, online digital development of sales, we also had people going to the malls and shopping, you know, so it, it was a, a twofer. It wasn't like one at the expense of the other, uh, from what I understand. That's right. And, and not only at the mall shopping, but mm-hmm. in the local boutique. Yes, exactly. Across the board. Yep. They're going out to eat. They're spending more. And this fourth quarter, and, and we're moving into the holiday spend, most merchants see a big surge in the fourth quarter because people are off, they're traveling, yeah. they're eating out more, they're spending money for the holidays. And, and to have an upbeat optimism in the air just compounds that effect. Yeah. It is looking good for the holiday. And we expect the Bank of America this year's holiday spend to be higher than last year as well. So all, all accounts show toward a, a good year end and a positive start to 2018. Well, I want to talk to you about something that's very near and dear to me. I am a local small business owner. You would consider me. We are on the precipice of an enormous uh, growth uh, in what we're building in our technology. We're going from one channel to 10 channels, technology that doesn't exist in broadcasting. We've been working on it for two years. So I fit into this group, right? One of the numbers, um, 57%, right, of urban business are planning to grow their business over the next five years. I think that that is an understatement. I think we're going to see that grow. What can you share with us about what we should be mindful of? Because right now, I'm out there looking for small business loans to get this done. Is that the trend you're seeing? Are people like, yeah, I'm going to borrow money because I'm going to get it done? Well, we are. I mean, we we see our our lending numbers at Bank of America are up Mm -hmm. uh, for small business. So more more people are turning to Bank of America for their lending and borrowing needs than they ever have before. However, the industry overall is actually slightly down. Okay. To see our lending numbers up versus the industry, that tells me that that we're out in the local communities. We're serving, you know, right there in Seattle, we've got small business bankers that are sitting across the desk from business owners right now. Oh, yeah. Talking to them about exactly this, this, uh, this need to expand. People are getting loans in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of, of ways, but part of our job as a bank is to provide access to capital. And, you know, many times that's what you need. Right? Yeah. You need access to capital to get that next leg going. Yeah. And then part of our job as an advisor is to also say, you know what, uh, you know, maybe you should slow down or maybe you should accelerate. And, and that's where an advisor is yeah. important. But I'll tell you that, um, you know, overall, yes, we are seeing expansion, we're seeing growth, and we're seeing more people access that capital to be able to grow or buy equipment or hire more employees. Whatever it is they need, 
that's that's what they're turning Mm. more and more for. And, you know, it's kind of exciting in the statistics that you provided. So before we we kind of we get so excited here, how can people look up the results? I know. How do people look up the results of this so that they can take a look for themselves? You can go to bankofamerica.com forward slash small business and the report is there, but there's also a lot of other information, mm-hmm. educational materials about how to access capital, what to think about on the business plan, how to focus on your employees, all different sorts of information. And and sort of back to the, the conversation we started with around, you know, nothing replaces that, you know, face-to-face. And right. you also can go into a local financial center and sit down with a small business banker and talk about it. And how does this apply to you? Because of the 29 million small businesses in the U.S., no two are alike. Yeah. And so everybody's different. It's hard to give a one-size-fits-all approach because there's differences. And that's where it's important that you know your business, you know your plan, you know your growth, and that you have a consultant that can help you along the way. So I like the question that you asked about when asked what factors most impact their ability to grow. Small business owners said customer demand, positive economic environment, and the ability to attract and retain employees. The reason I'm bringing this up is because 25 years in H, you know, in H, I'm an HR executive when I stepped away. Retaining employees was a number one priority. And I think we got away from that for a while while the the economy was looking a little bit like not so hot. But now that things are picking up, isn't this a serious priority for small businesses? It absolutely is. So even though, you know, in our report, people said, yes, we believe our revenues are going to increase, looking really good. That didn't necessarily translate to, I'm going to grow my employee base. Yeah. <laughs> the shift really comes here, right? I mean, well, for one, we're at nearly full employment across the United States. Right. So, you know, the, the war for talent is out there. People make a difference. And so if you've got great employees, hold on to them. But even if you've got 100 employees and, you know, two or three move away or decide to do something different, you still have to hire to replace to stay at the same level you were. Right. There's a constant stream of uh, attrition and replacement and upgrading of talent. And so, you know, small business owners are thinking about creative ways to attract that talent, whether it's, you know, flexible work location or hours or employee perks, benefits packages. All these things are what small business owners are now thinking about to really compete for that talent to make sure that they have a leg up on the other um, you know, person that the, the, the person may be interviewing with. Because mm-hmm. It's competitive. And for great talent, you know, they have choices mm-hmm. where they work. And so we, we want to make sure that our small business owners are thinking about how to make their establishment the best place to work. Because every big business was a small business and they've got to create that vision for their employees and why stay with them. I love this. And, you know, I know we have a few minutes left. I want to ask you, what are some of the ahas that you got from that, that you kind of pulled from the survey? What are some of the things where you said, oh, oh. <laughs> well, you know, one is that healthcare costs continue to be the number one concern mm-hmm. of small business owners. So whether you're in the urban areas or the rural areas, as well as corporate tax rates. And I, I think you mm-hmm. I did before. Yep. 
these are still important. And, and when we see downsizing or we see people letting it, people go, mm-hmm. it is generally because of the cash flow. So if you're paying mm-hmm. more in corporate tax rates, you're not going to have as much to invest in your business. So it's right. watch carefully in D.C. by our small business owners. The other piece is that millennials, they are the most optimistic generation. <laughs> Every single category, right, that we ask, so this folks 18 to 36, they expect to grow their business, to hire more, and they continue to be the most optimistic, which is encouraging as we uh, you know, look to them as the next generation of our economy. Wow. You know, this is important information for people like me, but also for the general population now that are looking and thinking to themselves, okay, is this a myth or is it real? And I think statistics and studies really get us to that, don't they? They get us to the reality. They, they actually put some factual information, um, you know, around a feeling, right? Absolutely. And it can support or it can, you know, say, well, maybe we weren't looking at that right. Yeah. In our last report in the, um, in the spring and, and sort of around the lending numbers that we were just discussing, we, we, when we asked about are people looking to access capital, uh, there was not a lot of demand out there. Although we saw at Bank of America our lending numbers coming up, which mm-hmm. told me that, you know, more people are choosing to, to come to Bank of America yeah. for that advice and guidance and help which is a great thing for us as an institution. For the industry overall, we see demand a little uh, light. So mm-hmm. so those are some of the insights we can take away and then modify where mm-hmm. we need to and make sure that we're providing the right advice and guidance to clients. Well, I want to thank you for your time. And, you know, I, I also want to say that one of the statistics is definitely what we're seeing. While social media is super important, Nothing takes the place of the, the face-to-face in-person interactions. And even if you can't be with the person, Skype or Zoom or something like that, but people do want to see your face. They do, and, and people matter. So, you know, I think that the social media, the digital tools, these are all important, and they open up avenues that we never thought were possible. And it's, it's sort of where that high-tech and high-touch comes together, right? I mean, it's, it's the people and it's the complementary technology that can help. We need it. It's part of our lives, and it opens up different avenues for us. But it really doesn't replace that local connection, mm-hmm. friends and family, the local communities. And, and you almost have to do both. I mean, this is the economy we're in today. You've got to do yeah. that because customers demand it. I love it. Sharon Miller, everyone, Bank of America. Sharon, personal message. What do you want to leave us with? Well, I I want to leave your listeners with just, I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday season. Shop local. Make sure you're thinking about your local business owners as you are dining out and you are planning for the holidays and, and making your travel plans. Wow. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing all this information. Thanks, Sharon. We're going to take a short break, everyone. Uh, and again, please uh, take a look at this uh, information from Bank of America and take a really, really look at some of the information. Those of you out there that are like me, small business owners, and believe me, I spent two hours sitting down with my local Bank of America branch person just saying, like, I need some help. Let's take a short break. I'll be right back. Hey, 
everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our good news segment. Um, you know, we started this about six months ago, and it was to make sure that we're bringing information so that you can be informed consumers. You know, today we're talking about Medicare open enrollment, when it ends, have you reviewed your plan? And this is very, very important because a lot of folks don't know whether there's going to be changes or no changes, how that affects them, uh, what the best options are. And by the way, you know, Thursday, December 7th is it. Uh, joining me here today, John Hammerland is the Deputy Consortium Administrator of the Consortium for Medicaid and Children's Health Operations and Regional Administrator of the Seattle Office of Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Today, he is talking to us in his role as outreach and educator about the CMS programs, including Medicare, Medicaid, and children's health insurance programs. So here we are on the on the edge of having to make a decision. But you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. I already have Medicare. Why do I need to even look at this? John, thanks for joining me here today. Big question, right? Why am I looking at this? That's right. Thank you for having me. You bet. So it's really about understanding um, how Medicare might change during the course of the year um, because plans can change. Um, the health plans that are under Medicare and the prescription drug plans could change their costs, mm-hmm. the coverage, and also what providers and pharmacies are in the networks. So it's the fact that plans can change during the course of the year mm-hmm. and that a Medicare beneficiary's own health needs could change that makes this time of year important to check out the various options and find a plan that makes the best sense for each beneficiary. Well, and, you know, part of this too, isn't it just to make sure that we are staying informed about our health and our health options too. Um, So I mentioned this December 7th, 8th, uh, enrollment's been open for a while. Um, And so let's talk about, you know, when exactly should people be looking at this and making decisions? Well, time is uh, is fast coming to the deadline, as you said, 11 more days till the close of open enrollment. And by this time, all Medicare beneficiaries should have received a plan notice from their current plan. It's typically called an annual notice of change. And that's where there's information about whether there have been any changes in the plan, such as, for example, whether the drugs continue to be on the formulary or the doctors that the Medicare beneficiary prefers are still in the network. So that's really the first step is to review that annual notice of change. But as you said, Dr. Pat, you really have to then think about what matters most to you and your health needs. Um, So do you need a new primary care doctor this year? Does your network include um, the specialist that you want for an upcoming surgery that you know about? Um, does your current plan cover a new medication that you might have been prescribed? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's reason to take stock of your own health status as well as to take stock of the options that are available on your current plan. And then 
do some research and decide whether there might be a better option out there for you. So let's talk about what Medicare beneficiaries need to know right now. Um, and, you know, if, if, if anybody's listening to this, you may be thinking, um, I just think that I was told one day that once I enroll, that's it. I'm going to be good to go. But there are changes. I mean, I discovered a change in my supplemental the other day. You know, when we're looking at things and we're looking at supplemental care, we're looking at what, how, how the whole picture affects us. So can you give us a rundown of what do folks need to know? And let's let's just make sure that people even know, is this something I should be looking at? <laughs> right. So let's start with um, a Medicare beneficiary who has traditional Medicare, Part A and Part B. That person likely also has a Part D prescription drug plan. And that was added, of course, to Medicare a while back. Well, those prescription drug plans do change over the course of the year. There may be new drugs added to the formulary or some drugs removed from the formulary. So even somebody who's in, quote, traditional Medicare is going to want to make sure that their Part D, as in drug coverage, continues to be right for them. Then there are Medicare beneficiaries who have chosen to go into Medicare Advantage plans or something like an HMO or a PPO that's offered under Medicare. Again, those plans can change during the course of the year, and so and there are new options um, each year. So there's an opportunity for people to go and actually compare their current Medicare Advantage plan to the other Medicare Advantage plans that are available in their area and do a comparison tool to see if they're continue to be in the right plan. And if not, this is the time to make that change. And just as it is time to make that change, if they want to change their prescription drug plan. Yeah, I mean, and there's it, lots of tools available. Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, let me ask you about the tools. And is there a best place for people to go to find out so that they could start to get themselves super informed, especially if they're hearing this now and have been thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't really need to pay attention to this. I'm good to go. Where, where, what's the best place for people to go? So I, there are three really good options. And again, Um, In many cases, Medicare beneficiaries have already received in the mail a notice from their current plan. So that's that's the first step because that will let them know if there's been any changes to their plan. But the tools that are available, uh, one is 1-800-MEDICARE, and you can call and get a, a live operator, a live customer service representative who can walk through the options with you. Um, I think that's a great option, but not everybody wants to necessarily conduct um, this sort of um, interaction over the phone. So another option is www.medicare.gov, and it's on that website where we have this plan finder that I mentioned where beneficiaries can compare the different Medicare Advantage plans. I think my favorite option might be the third one, which is to call the SHIBA program. And here in Washington State, that's a program that's run by the Office of the Insurance Commissioner. They contract with us, and they have uh, unbiased, objective counselors who can help somebody walk through all the steps. They can do it uh, on the phone, or you can make an interview and do it in person. And that just takes a lot of the burden and, and some of the 
extra strain of making these choices uh, takes it off the plate because you have somebody there alongside you who can go through the options with you in an unbiased, objective way. So um, there are many people that are looking at this and thinking, wow, there's so much to know. There's so much that I should be looking at. Um, And also, they're probably thinking now, okay, I mean, the deadline is right upon me. Is there any consequences for missing the deadline at this point? Well, there there are consequences. If somebody misses the deadline of December 7th, um, they will not be able to change any plans until next year's open enrollment. So that'll be open enrollment in time for 2019. Now, if there are certain changes in the Medicare beneficiaries, um, uh, life, then there may be a special enrollment period option that's available after December 7th. But for most Medicare beneficiaries, December 7th is the firm deadline. Okay. People, um, I don't know if they're like me, but sometimes we can get really overwhelmed. What are, what's at the top of your list if there are like a top three that we should make people aware of? Well, I think the first thing is that there are these great tools available, so people don't need to feel that they're doing this on their own. So again, that's 1-800-MEDICARE, there's the medicare.gov website, and then there's the SHIBA program, and I can give you that phone number for the uh, state health insurance benefit counselors in Washington State, and that is 1-800-562-6900. So those are the tools. The choices that one have really come down to, am I comfortable staying if I'm in Medicare, traditional Medicare, A and B? Do I still have the doctor, et cetera? Or do I want to look at plan options? And then the other big, big decision is, have my medications changed such that there may be a better prescription drug plan out there for me? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, these are such important questions. You know, the other thing too, I think uh, about is, you, you know, what am I, what am I going to look at for Medicare, Medicare, and am I the kind of person that needs to be looking at additional services that that I can buy into? Um, and I think these questions really that you're presenting is to make sure that from from a Medicare point of view that you look at what your current situation is and make some decisions. You know, clearly there are people that may have, for example, pre-existing conditions and they have to really look at when I move this over, what's my best option? What do I need to look at? And as you said, call the right people and get the right answers. And I think that's really super important. Um, You know, in the role that you have, what are people most concerned about? What have you discovered people are most concerned about? Well, I think um, in many cases it comes down to anticipating changes or knowing about changes in their healthcare status. So um, for a lot of Medicare beneficiaries, they may have a new diagnosis that requires a new prescription drug, mm-hmm. one that they've never taken before. Mm-hmm. And of course, they will have discussed that with the doctor, but then the issue will be, where, how can I make sure that Medicare will cover the new drug? Mm-hmm. Or they might know that they're going to have a surgery coming up um, 
in the next calendar year, and they want to make sure that the specialist um, that they would want to have for that surgery is somebody covered in their current plan. So those are some of the decisions. Of course, healthcare is um, is a bit of an unknown quantity, and yeah. I think all Medicare beneficiaries can have the the assurance and satisfaction knowing that Medicare is there for them. It provides a lot of coverage for for people. Yeah. There are, as you yeah. mentioned earlier, ways to supplement Medicare coverage as well. But Medicare will be there for you. And um, with Medicare, there's no such thing as pre-existing conditions to worry about, et cetera. It's, it's got an awful lot of opportunities for coverage, including things like flu shots and other things that we should be thinking about this fall. Great. Wow. Thank you so much for the information today. Uh, one last thing. Please let people know how they can find out more. And I'd love to know your personal message. What would you like to leave us with today? I'd like to ask all Medicare beneficiaries to take the time in the remaining days here during open enrollment to, to do a little due diligence, um, reach out to somebody for help. There's some great tools available so you don't have to feel like you can do this alone, but you owe it to your own self and your family to consider what's important for your health, um, consider your pocketbook, and there are great options out there for you to make sure that Medicare coverage will be there for you in the coming year. Ah, oh, awesome. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you for all that you do. A- any last tips for people you want to kind of leave us with here? No more tips, but if I may, Dr. Pat, there is one more thing happening in Medicare that Medicare beneficiaries might want to know about, and that's that we will begin issuing new Medicare cards starting yeah. in April of 2018. No longer will the Medicare cards have the social security number on it. It will be a different number. And all Medicare beneficiaries during the course of the next 12 months beginning this April are going to receive new cards. So we want to make sure that people are aware that Mm -hmm. that is happening. That is a relief, and we all know why, right? Thank you so much for sharing that super important information. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome to our good news segment. Now, for many of you out there, you know what time of year this is, but there are many of you that may not. You know, this is the time period that we're looking at for the annual enrollment period for Medicare Advantage and prescription drug plans, right? It started in October. We've been talking about it for a bit. But what I love about this is if you're anything like me, you are pretty clueless. That's why Dan Tufto is joining us here today. Uh, Dan is president of Medicare for Humana's West Division, responsible for a mega portfolio of Medicare Advantage plan offerings, and is here to really, you know what I like to say, tell us the many things that most of us really want to know about. Dan, it's great to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Great to be here, Dr. Pat. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. So let's talk about, you know, the, the, the origins of Medicare and Medicare Advantage, because many people hear Medicare. We're certainly hearing about it in the news uh, right now in, in, in the government conversations on tax reform. But what we don't hear about is what we should know about the differences between the original Medicare and Medicare Advantage. 
And, and these are really significant. So this is something that people should know, right? Yeah, it, it, it's you touched on it earlier. I, I think we are on that window of season that, that you talked about being the annual enrollment period. So that started on October 15th. It ends next Thursday on December 7th. And so folks that are Medicare eligible, they have a decision uh, to make and, and whatever decision that they make, that will essentially be the plan that they select that will be their plan of choice uh, that will be effective January 1st of 2018. So at this time of year, we, we get that question a lot. Uh, help me understand what are the differences out there between original Medicare and if I'm looking at a Medicare Advantage plan, what are the differences between original Medicare and Medicare Advantage? So I think for your listeners, it's uh, I think there's two or three main ones that I would point out. You know, first and foremost, original Medicare is a, is a run and administered by the government. It's administered by Medicare. Medicare Advantage plans are typically run and administered by private organizations uh, like Humana. Um, so that's the first fundamental difference between the two. The second is, you know, what are the benefits that are offered under original Medicare and how might that be different under uh, a Medicare Advantage type plan? So as you think about original Medicare, uh, Medi original Medicare typically provides uh, basic medical coverage. So there is a Part A component to original Medicare that is, that is hospital coverage. And there is Part B component to original Medicare that essentially is medical coverage. But if you take prescription drugs, for example, um, prescription drug coverage is typically not covered under original Medicare. So if you want to remain in an original Medicare, you need to look at a specific prescription drug plan that's out in the marketplace and kind of hook that on to your original Medicare. Under Medicare Advantage, if you take prescription drugs, many of the Medicare Advantage plans that are available out in the marketplace, they include uh, prescription drug coverage. Uh, you may also find under Med Medicare Advantage plans, there might be uh, in certain plans extra, um, what we would call extra designs or, or benefits that are available under Medicare Advantage plan that you won't find under original Medicare. And those would be things like uh, vision coverage or hearing coverage or dental coverage, or if you wanted to access uh, so something that's very important to most Medicare eligible folks, um, like a fitness class tailored for Medicare eligible recipients, uh, a program like Silver Sneakers, you may find that under certain Medicare Advantage offerings that, that you won't find under original Medicare. And then the last thing I would point out is I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, well, I think the thing that you're talking about is, um, uh, and by the way, Humana has done a great job on television with television ads, uh, for sure, to really, you know, help people understand what it is their choices are and what they can do. Because you're absolutely right. Most people that are calling up, they're asking about things like vision and dental, and they're saying, oh, no, no, that's not covered. And they think that's the end. It's like they stop. Right. And the importance right. of this is so significant. The dollar cost avoidance, if you were to look at this and sign up, it's just it's it's hard to describe it. Right. Yeah, it's it's you, what you're touching on is and, and we believe this passionately. But but if you're a Met Medicare eligible recipient, arming yourself with as much information as necessary, cost is important. 
who's in the network in terms of doctors in my area or hospitals in my area, the list of medications that I might be on, all those important informational pieces are really, really important for you to bring that together so you can make the right selection that's in the best interest of your particular coverage when you're making that determination to find what's the best health plan for me. You know, I want to talk about the key benefits for Humana Medicare Advantage plans, and I want to really get down to that because um, there are some things that set you all apart, and I think it's important for people to know what that is because a lot of times folks are told, no, we're all the same, we're all the same, we're all the same. And, you know, silver sneakers, I don't think people even know what that is. But I know if you're me and you've called up and you're asking, the answers you get is no, fitness is not covered. No, vision is not covered. No, dental is not covered. And you go off into the sunset. So give us a rundown of what the world of possibility is with this with you all. Yeah, so I, I think the best way to answer your question is uh, is to try and point your listeners to where can I go find uh, more information about particular plans or about Medicare in general or about Medicare Advantage in general. And so I would point your listeners to, to probably two great resources. The first off is the Medicare website, which is www.medicare.gov. Or you can also speak to a live person at Medicare by calling their 800 number, which is 1-800-MEDICARE. Um, the second resource that I think is out there, uh, and, and whether it's a specific about Humana's plans in general, or just uh, information about what are the choices that might be out there that I'm faced with, uh, is the Humana website, which is www.humana.com backslash Medicare. Or you can call Humana's live 1-800 number and speak to a live person at 1-888-204-4062. And I think, Dr. Pat, you touched on it. Um, there, there's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, there's a lot of competition in the Medicare Advantage space. Uh, even within Humana and the plans that we offer, the variety of uh, price points and the benefit coverages available are, uh, there's a lot of choice. So consumers need to focus on what's covered under a particular plan so they can make the best informed decision to say that this is the right plan for me, given my uh, specific circumstances. And, and I think that this is why we have to really not just uh, inquire or listen to commercials, but definitely go to a website and see what the possibilities are. Uh, you know, can you tell us what is the best way for people to find out about Humana? What is the best way for them to look, for them to explore? Because you're right, you know, uh, people are listening to this and clearly they have days left to, to make some of these decisions. And it's important to do that. It's important to make sure you have good coverage. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, that there's, there's an abundancy of ways for, for that uh, information um, to be communicated to an individual that's got to make the decision. Uh, they can talk to their caregiver, their physician. They can talk to a Humana licensed agent. 
Um, they can, as we talked about earlier, they can access the website at, at Humana.com or the 800 number. All of those are vehicles um, that will help further their knowledge uh, when it comes to that point in time. And then I think also for your listeners that we didn't talk about, uh, we, we brought up the issue of prescription drug coverage, and that's just so important for Medicare-eligible folks that, that might be taking prescription drugs. But if you have a list of medications that you're currently taking, you can actually go on the Medicare website, and there is an, an online drug formulary where you can enter your drug information for your prescription drugs that you're taking, and it will show you plans in your area that, that cover those particular drugs. So a wealth of information that's out there, whether you call the 800 number for Medicare or you access that information online at, at their website at www.medicare.gov. And, you know, you're so right about this. I mean, the idea that uh, prescriptions are not covered and, and, you know, people don't know that really. You know, they don't think like that. They think, well, wait a minute, I'm just going over to Medicare and I'm just going to get like whatever my, you know, coverage was before I went to Medicare. And they really do have to get well informed about this because if anything needs to be covered, it is prescription drugs. But beyond that, uh, you also offer some other plans so that deductibles, co-pays, all of the above can be minimized. And I think that's kind of the important thing to look at, too, is what are the options I have to minimize my out-of-pocket cost? That's exactly right. And, and I think that whether it's the Humana plans that are out there or just other Medicare Advantage plans that are in the marketplace, um, it, it's a very competitive environment. So we tell people all the time. It's it's so very important for consumers to kind of comparison shop. Is it is it more important for you to have a lower monthly premium, but you you might have a higher maximum uh, out of pocket coverage, or vice versa? Um, so so you need to take those factors uh, into account because that's a big piece as you evaluate cost. Um, but but I think there's enough competition, so much competition out in the marketplace that that certainly within Humana and within the Medicare uh, Advantage plan offerings that are out there, you can find a plan that, that is best suited for your needs, both economically and what's important for you in terms of who are those physicians and, and caregivers and hospitals that might be in the area or in the network of the health plan choices that I'm faced with. Yeah. I mean, I know we've got a couple of minutes left, but I want to make sure that we we let folks know you know, how the Humana Medicare Advantage plans, uh, uh, what all they might include. So could you give us sort of the high points of this? And then again, um, the website for folks to find out more. Yeah. So, so I'll just touch on it. Um, you know, we have Medicare Advantage plans that are out there with Humana that include prescription drug coverage. That's a big one that we talked about earlier. We have Medicare Advantage plans that, that we offer that do not include um, prescription drug coverage. And that might be necessary for a particular Medicare eligible consumer that is getting a prescription drug benefit as an example through the Veterans Administration. Um, so, so those are things uh, to take into account. And then obviously, uh, I think important when you're comparing Medicare Advantage, whether it's through Humana or anyone else, 
comparing that to what does original Medicare offer, those those add-on benefits that I talked about, whether it's within a Humana plan or not within a Humana plan, things like vision, is vision offered, is dental care offered, so on and so forth. Those are things you won't find in original Medicare that ultimately, if those are, are very important to your own health and well-being, then, then I think you'll find a Medicare Advantage choice is the right choice for that consumer. And again, just just to remind everyone for resources, uh, www.humana.com backslash Medicare, or if you want to call the 800 number and speak to a live person, it's 1-888-204-4062. Wow. Dan, thank you so much for today. Uh, last, uh, last question, what's your personal message? What do you want to leave everybody with today? Well, I know it's it's uh, it's a very uh, at this time of the year, particular for Medicare eligible folks that have to make a decision. It, it, at times, can be kind of chaotic, um, and and so we're trying to provide information that that helps inform the consumer to make the best choice available for them. And we think if if most people will do that, then they'll select the plan that is best suited for their needs. So that's what I would leave your listeners with. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. I'm Dr. Pat. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in a little bit.